Hey loves, I'm Marley Liss, and welcome to the Sensual Revolution. This is a global movement to reclaim sensual empowerment on an embodied and systemic level. My personal path of sensuality has not been easy. Shame around my body image, sexual abuse, and my queerness had me dissociated and numbed the heck out. It's been a big journey to get to where I am today, but I really have turned my pain to purpose. Along the way, I've learned our personal healing makes epic waves in this world. This podcast is here to remind you that your healing is selfless. When you learn to shed shame, love your body, and claim your worth, you pave the way for all people to do the same. Here, you can expect to hear from sexual educators and healers who work at the embodied level of sensual empowerment, as well as policymakers and justice leaders who work at the systemic level. It's all connected. So whether you're at the very beginning of your own sensual healing journey, or you're a sex-positive advocate and superstar, this community welcomes you. Let's come together and revolutionize this planet one loving, sensual step at a time. Hey loves, welcome back to another episode of The Sensual Revolution. Um, Last week's episode with Eva Bloom was so much fun. I heard from so many of you that really deeply resonated with the conversation of queer sex education and the Harry Potter houses that go along with your sexual identity. I just love the conversations that happen on this podcast so much. So thank you for writing in, for listening, for sharing, and thank you, thank you for leaving reviews as well. Really helps us to amplify this message. So, oh my gosh, today's conversation is next level. We have an amazing guest on with us today, India Oxenberg, who is so many amazing things, including an empowering, inspiring, super educated survivor really deeply aware of trauma, how it impacts the body, the healing journey. Um, She's also a survivor of the Nexium cult. I first heard of India's story through a docuseries that she created called Seduced. I also watched The Vow, which is all about the Nexium cult, which um, centered around Keith Raniere. And this was essentially known as a sex cult with a master-slave ring they literally branded their members like it was some really extreme shit and the way that india so bravely has reclaimed her own instinct has become a huge advocate for survivors um has become someone who speaks out against violence whether it's domestic violence high control groups all of these things like this is just so inspiring and What I love about our conversation today is we don't just focus on what was shocking and horrible about the Nexium cults. And I mean, if you want to learn more about that, you can absolutely read her memoir. You can Google it. You can watch these docuseries, which I do super recommend. Um, But our conversation goes so far beyond that. We get into defining consent on a deeper level, looking at coercive consent. We really break down victim blaming and look at why the heck it is in our culture that someone would see an article that talks about someone who was branded as a sex slave and judges that person who was branded instead of the person who, who did that, who caused that harm. So 
in a pretty gentle and surprisingly lighthearted way in a really vulnerable and beautiful way we get into these topics including shedding self-blame and and pointing out that this even though it might seem so foreign and different to a lot of life experiences this is relatable on so many levels and india really works to humanize those who were who were brought into manipulative manipulative situations like this whether it was in a cult context or a abusive relationship or a toxic workplace like we all have experiences of being manipulated being coerced um losing our sense of self and validating our instinct because someone else is telling us that they know better about what is good for us so yeah i'm just so excited for you to hear this conversation today and to just enjoy all of the gorgeous energy and education that was shared. You'll also hear India's red flags um, and just learn about ways to protect yourself and to honor yourself for whatever survival strategies you may have leaned into in times of hardship. On that note of reclaiming sense of self and empowerment, I want to share that the Sensual Wholeness Academy is on and popping. Um, this is my eight-month group coaching program for women looking to reclaim self-love, sensual empowerment, to be a part of a global community of like-hearted women in a trauma-informed, pleasure-positive context. It's a really gorgeous space to claim love for your body, to heal shame, to heal the wounds of objectification culture and internalized misogyny, to work through so many layers of conditioning that aren't serving us, and to claim such a beautiful life rooted in pleasure. So if this sounds like something that could really support you in this moment in your life, I encourage you to go to the link in the show notes, check out the details for the Sensual Wholeness Academy, You can sign up right through that detail page, but if you're someone who feels like you could use a little more personalized support around deciding if this is right for you, you can also go to the link in the show notes and book a one-to-one call with me. This is a really beautiful space for us to connect, look at your sensual reclamation journey thus far, and see what the best next steps are for you. So check it out. We'd be honored, honored to support you in that journey. The SWA is just so amazing and soul-filling. And let's freaking get into this episode. I'm going to give a gentle trigger warning. We don't get into anything super graphic, but there is mention of a lot of these experiences of manipulation and India shares her journey in the cult. So just check in with your body See if you feel a green light for this today or if this is an episode that maybe you want to revisit later. Again, we don't get into anything super graphic, but it's always good to check in. Um, Let's get into it. Hello, beautiful people. I'm so excited for today's conversation. We have the very, very epic and inspiring and lovely and funny India Oxenberg here with us. How are you today, India? I'm so well, much better than last week. Yeah. <laughs> it's, so good. it's good to be here and finally be talking with you. 
Yeah, you too. Ups, downs, non-linear healing cycles. We'll we'll get into how it is. (laughs) Um, Let's start with this kind of fun question that you can answer in whatever way feels good for you. Um, Who are you in this chapter of your life? Oh my goodness. That's such a loaded question. Yeah, and you can keep it chill. You can get super deep. Who am I right now? Oh my God, I feel like I'm India 2.0, you know, like I've been, I feel like just nowadays I'm starting to really get a, a better sense of who I am because of what I went through. And then, like you said, it's this non-linear healing journey. And I, I feel like sometimes I go two steps forward and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm feeling amazing. And then I, you know, get triggered or have something, you know, life happens. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, who am I now? And it's this kind of time where I feel like I'm really getting to redefine who I am and figure out what my needs are and where I want to go with my career and so I feel like I'm in a big time discovery stage Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's kind of cool but also kind of scary (laughs) for sure 100% with you I love that I feel like so often we see this kind of like before and after version of healing and we're like oh this was the person before and now they're healed and they're perfect and they don't ever have an insecurity or anything no not real (laughs) not real (laughs) yeah it is not real um you're amazing I did watch all of seduced I watched all of the vow follow your social media and all the things and saw that you have a memoir which I'm super excited to read um thank you but yeah you've just You've been through so much and not only have you been through so much, but you have done such gorgeous reclamation and are now using all of that to like help others and break silence and make a change. And that's just chef's kiss. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I I honestly think that that's really like been such a huge part of my own healing is taking my life back in my own hands and not necessarily knowing what the direction that it was going to go in, but learning to trust that the decisions that I make are for me and that they benefit, you know, the things that I want to see change in the world. And that really is kind of like a big picture idea, but really on a small scale, it's more about like living honestly and living without shame. And that's like my goal all the time. It's like, how can I, how can I, access and and be connected to my most authentic self even when it's super uncomfortable and you know you're gonna upset a lot of people when you do that and that Mm -hmm. comes with the territory and if you're a people pleaser or a professional people pleaser like myself Mm -hmm. you you get to really see the people who stick with you are really the ones you want around and the ones that fall to the wayside are kind of fair weather friends and and they didn't really want to see you for you necessarily they wanted to see you for you know that that person who serviced them more and and that's kind of been like my personal journey of coming out of Nexium but specifically more so DOS uh, mm-hmm. because it was so oppressive and controlling and kind of breaking those invisible chains and coming to terms with like what the fuck do I want like yeah. what do what do I actually care about? And so it's it, like I said in the beginning, it's this discovery stage of what moves me, what makes me feel whole again, 
and what makes me feel purposeful. And, uh, and a lot of that has come from being able to share my story and take the narrative of who India is back into my own hands rather than being at like the whim of, you know, newspaper headlines, which are like super one dimensional. And, you know, if, if I was going to make an online profile and I didn't you know, go about and do all the things that I had done, it would have said branded sex slave. And I'm like, who the hell wants to date that? Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, so like really, really like, and, and I can laugh about it now and like have a little giggle, but there was a time where I was yeah. just really, really paralyzed by the mm -hmm. thought of like, how am I going to move forward from this? And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people can relate to that and they don't need to go and, you know, be in a cult and come out of a cult in order to have that kind of moment in their life where they go, how am I going to have the life that I want? Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's a really relatable question. And, and I think I've been able to connect with more people than I thought, because yeah. I think a lot of us are on that kind of journey. Mm -hmm. A thousand percent. I mean, there's so much of course, and we'll kind of backtrack and, and give mm -hmm. space for you to share like what your journey actually was and looks like again, like always in whatever way feels cool and accessible today. But um, yeah, I mean, I think sometimes we hear something like cult and branding and it feels so far removed for like privileged people who haven't experienced this like myself um it can feel so far removed you're like I don't know that experience I've never had that I can't imagine all these things and at the same time it's like this is not outside of rape culture or misogyny or coercive like lack of consent culture the manipulation and power dynamics that all of us experience every day it's like it's like the the peak the, the at the bottom of the rabbit hole it's like the bottom of that of that shit so you're right it is relatable even when yeah. we might at first be like sex like Brandon I don't know anything about that and it's right like, it's like oh my yeah. god this feels so weird and uncomfortable and foreign can't relate and I, I think my goal with seduced specifically mm -hmm. was how can we make this as relatable as possible but really because I wanted people to understand that this could happen to them. And if it's not them, maybe somebody that they love. And that's not because I want people to walk around feeling terrified of the world, but it is to bring attention to a part of society that we often don't want to look at. I think a, a lot of that actually has to do with consent and like yes. what is consent and what is consensual. And I know that there's so many layers to it, literally layers. Mm -hmm of what consent actually means and and in my case I was coerced into believing that the very thing that I was doing was was taking my free will away from me and I I think if and I, I know that you you mentioned that a lot of your viewers are people who are survivors themselves or recovering from trauma and like I wanted people to walk away from the series and be able to go wow, I can see how that could have happened. Mm -hmm. And I can see where maybe I've been manipulated or taken advantage of in my own life. And I'm not going to tolerate that anymore, whether it's for me or for other people. And that's really what I wanted the big takeaway to be is more of a, more of a perspective of compassion and understanding than 
that just only happens to dumb, vulnerable girls. Oh my gosh. Okay. (laughs) So with you, I was like making some notes before we connected and I was like, coercive consent, victim blaming. Like these are things I definitely want to get into, but first I'd love to just backtrack a bit for anyone who's like, never heard of the Nexium. Am I even saying it right? Nexium. Yeah, you are. And it's good for you. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of the thing I was figuring too. Um, Yeah, for anyone who hasn't heard of this or your story, can you just like walk us through? So Nexium is a cult, but you know, from the outside at a certain point in time, it was looked, it looked like a multi-level marketing type of group which had a bunch of sub companies underneath it so Nexium was kind of like the umbrella and then within it were a bunch of others including one which was called executive success program and that was like their consumer front product that they sold and that was one of their main ways of enrolling and luring people into a cult and I, I know I'm giving kind of like the uh quick version but It happened to be in 2011, my mother and I were invited by a friend of ours to come to an intro presentation, which seemed totally like normal and legitimate. I mean, I grew up in Los Angeles, so I guess for me, self-help was something that I was pretty familiar with and wasn't all that unusual. Mm -hmm. And also we trusted this friend because she, you know, everyone has that friend where they're like, go see that movie or go eat at that restaurant. You're like, okay, no problem. And you're like, don't even look (laughs) it up and you just go Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. you you, trust goes a long way. And that was actually one of the tools that they used to recruit people was blind faith. And so we went to this intro presentation and there was something about it that just really spoke to me. I was 19 years old at the time and I had just left uh, a year of university in Boston and I was feeling pretty lost and aimless in my life. I, um, I was looking for some kind of direction and something that maybe could fill in the void that I was feeling at that time. And I was at this point in my life where I was really looking for some structure and direction. And because I had just left university and I'm kind of keen on alternative education, I'm dyslexic. So like traditional school for me wasn't always my favorite. Mm-hmm. And I was looking, I was open. And I was also vulnerable. And like most people in that time of transition, I was really receptive to the information which they were presenting. And a lot of what they were saying was that they had a system and a technology that could eliminate fears and help you achieve your goals. And I was like, I couldn't have raised my hand high enough. You know, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my God, that's me. I I, I have problems. I need help. And, you know. (laughs) I'm lost, but you know, I wasn't really saying that overtly, but I was communicating that in a way because I was at a place where I really was looking for some guidance. Mm -hmm. And so I was also 19, surrounded by all of these professional, seemingly professional people who had seemed to have their shit together. And so I wasn't really in a position to question them. I was kind of just like, okay, they seem to have some things right maybe maybe I should try this out so I I remember turning to my mom and and saying like hey I really want to try this course would you want to take it with me and you know her being the mother that she is she was like oh my god 
my kid is being decisive, like, holy shit, I should take advantage of this. And so she actually agreed to take it with me. And so that was kind of the beginning of our introduction into Nexium via executive success programs. And so, you know, cut to five years later, I was recruited or I guess invited to join a subgroup of Nexium, which was called DOS. And mm-hmm. DOS was pitched to me as a women's only kind of like boy training group where they would kind of mentor you, but that there was no real out, but that that was supposed to be a good thing. And there was like, it was really kind of ambiguous. And, and at that point I had been in Nexium for five years and I hadn't really gone to the place where I wanted to go in the Nexium ranking system because that's like how they did things you moved up ranks and then eventually the goal was that you would be a professional coach in which you would make money up until that point I didn't make a dime and actually I'd never made any money in Nexium because that was not really how they did things what they did was you worked like a like a mentorship but really it's kind of like slave labor where you just kind of give away your time in exchange for curriculum if you can't pay for it but I was also paying for curriculum so they you know they 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 had a pretty good system going in which they could really um use people for the skills that they had whether it was you know administrative or if you were personable or if you were a really committed student which at that point I was Mm -hmm. um and I grew farther and farther from my friends, from my family, from my future, my uh, prior ambitions. And I became incredibly dedicated to the group. Um, and I was really losing myself in that process, but I actually thought that I was gaining myself. But mm-hmm. now in retrospect, I, can, I see it very differently. So I think from there, I mean, I was, I was in DOS for about, two years and that was much more of a a abusive environment that really used blackmail and coercion as the as the foundation of the program Mm -hmm. and so there was no real way out unless you wanted to you know have your collateral exposed and, and hurt the people that you love and that was just not an option for me so I did a lot of convincing of myself that where I was was right and I was too afraid to leave but I wasn't conscious of that until after the fact because the brainwashing that they do and the indoctrination that they had was so clever and not actually very different from you know being a POW or being someone who is abducted Mm-hmm. And and I, I know these things now from like the studying that I've done about trauma and about PTSD and complex PTSD and whatnot. And and the, the tactics and the strategy that is used is so similar to, you know, a lot of other groups, but also on an individual basis of abuse. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that's really helped me come to terms with what's happened to me is seeing this as like, a micro and a macro example of abuse and seeing the similarities of how people are taken advantage of and um, psychological abuse is really challenging for people to understand because it's not like you could see the bruises or you can 
see the tangible results of abuse, it's it does things to your mind and it does things to your self-esteem and your your belief system about what you're capable of gets tampered with. Mm-hmm. And so really you and then on top of it, there was sleep deprivation, there was food deprivation, there was 24 hour surveillance, like it was a high control group to say the least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the, the process of actually leaving a cult is sometimes even more difficult than, you know, entering. Nobody gets, <laughs> nobody joins a cult per se, they join what they believe the group is. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately you come to terms with what it is and then hopefully you leave. But, you know, you know, the statistics, I'm sure, but the average woman, it takes her seven times to leave an abusive relationship. So now imagine that in a group setting, it's it's quite difficult. So I really have a lot of respect for anyone who has left a high control group or an abusive relationship, because it takes a lot of guts and it takes a lot of faith, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. I just... (laughs) Fun. So I hope I, I know. So I hope <laughs> yeah. that kind of gives you a little bit of a backstory. I know I probably jumped around a bit, but um, really, I think what's important is to see that there are a lot of crossovers, um, and that that's that's how you get to understand the red flags. I mean, you do it so eloquently and clearly and patiently. And I think the fact that we even have to kind of put in effort to humanize victims also says a lot about our culture to say like, well, before you judge me, here's what happened. Um, And I mean, that alone is something for us to question. Like, why do we think that way? Why is Mm -hmm. it normalized for people to hear about, hear that headline of branded sex life and to judge you? first like that is so uh, right to assume that it was your fault and I mean I I do a lot of work now my current life with uh with rain and Mm -hmm. they're one of the premier anonymous hotlines for uh sexual abuse um and it's one of the things that we talk about a lot when we get on calls and and discuss strategy and things like that is just that this is not your fault that whatever happened to you has nothing to do with any of the things that you might believe caused this to happen. So even in me telling the story as I do and like how I went from, you know, 19 year old me to being indoctrinated into a cult, I can see my vulnerabilities because I've had time to reflect on them. And I think it's important for everyone to recognize that you might have some vulnerabilities, but that's not what caused you to be abused. What caused you to be abused is that there are people out there who are predators who will identify potential victims. Mm -hmm. And that has nothing to do with you being broken or having any real problem whatsoever. It has to do with the fact that there are predators in the world and they think differently than us and they have different brains and ultimately you could say that they're a product of abuse themselves but that's not meant to give them an out Mm -hmm. it's it's just that this cycle of abuse is very deep and um it's really pervasive in our culture and the fact that we oftentimes end up defending perpetrators more so than victims is really sad and 
very backwards. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I think that the parallel that I've heard you draw before too, like to domestic violence is so clear um, mm-hmm. because again, it's easy to judge something that we don't understand, I think. And when we hear about people being branded in a cult, it's very easy to say, well, why would they just leave? Um, so, <laughs> which is- I've had that, say, I've had so many people say that to me and I'm just like, I have an idea, okay. what if you leave? <laughs> yeah, hmm, that would have been great. But that's just not how it works. Yeah. It's so much more nuanced and complicated than that. And um, it, that's like a question that I find. I mean, now I'm not as, you know, fired up and pissed about that question when I hear it because I'm like, oh, okay, they don't understand. Yeah. And I, I have to like take a breath and just, you know, figure out what maybe I could say that could help them see the broader picture Mm -hmm. but sometimes some people are not capable of that and I and I and I think that's an important thing for survivors to realize is that there's going to be some people in your life who are not going to be able to understand Mm -hmm. and that doesn't make you wrong actually at all it just shows you that there's certain people that have limitations in their ability to empathize or really just think abstractly yeah (laughs) because but that shouldn't be something that deters you from believing in what you know to be the truth and that is a learning curve that I've had to come to terms with because I think I was so desperate to have everybody believe me at some point and I'm really more desperate to have the people that I love and cared about the most <laughs> believe me and I'm like ah, I really need you to understand this and then I had to know that they're 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 caps mm-hmm. and it's it's actually more about me having forgiveness and understanding myself yeah and then having to have other people understand Oof, that is some you know? deep work for sure. <laughs> like, yeah, I think a lot of us do get it's stuck hard. on that. We're like, get it, get it, get it. Why don't you get it? And yeah, in a world where we all have unique lives and different experiences, you're so right. We might not, but there might still be love and deep care. Totally, there. totally. Yeah. And and it also happens, I see it a lot as a, like sometimes generational too, mm-hmm. um, that certain certain people just that's just not how they were raised and it's really difficult for them to kind of reevaluate their whole set of beliefs just to kind of like accept this really uncomfortable thing for them and they might really love you and want to but they also might really want you to just feel better and be you know I'm doing air quotes here but normal again right and so that might come from a place of fear where they just don't know how to help you or they they feel like if you're if you're happy it means that you're fixed mm. and and that's also unrealistic too mm-hmm. <laughs> but and I see that a lot sometimes with um certain relationships that I have where they're like oh you're happy so you must be better now and I'm like you know I am better but sometimes I have bad days yeah and that's just kind of like how this works and I even get frustrated with that. And I'm like, oh, God damn it, India. Like, why can't you just be fine today? Like, 
mm-hmm. get it together. And then I'm like, got to take a step back and just kind of take, take it in and be like, oh, it's okay to have tough days sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's normal. Yeah, it's human. <laughs> it's, it's totally human. And, and I think that's something that I've also had to really allow myself to be okay with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there's like a reclamation that a lot of us go through where we realize we're not robots. <laughs> and, totally. Um, right? It's easy to say, I mean, I've, I've done this before where I have a dear friend in an abusive relationship and I'm like, well, you should leave. And it's kind of like A plus B equals C, like this is happening, doesn't sound healthy, you're not happy, you should leave. Um And it's just, it's so easy to kind of come at it from that logical lens and forget that like people's hearts are in it. And Mm -hmm. um, I imagine like your whole worldview, your whole, like all of your connections were embedded in that space. And so Mm -hmm. asking you to leave and then be fine is, is not real. Yeah. Yeah. It's very challenging because because I think on one hand, you spend so much time investing in either the relationship or in my case, in, in the group and establishing some sort of identity within that. And so you're, you're asking people to challenge some really, really deep core beliefs about who they are and also question if what they're doing is good. And that then comes back to you where you have to question, wow, did I put myself in danger like Mm. am I am I the type of person that can't trust that my decisions are sound or safe and that can be really jarring and destabilizing when you start to question those things and and I went through some very very dark times uh, where I was questioning a lot of the decisions that I had made while I was under the influence of mostly specifically Keith Raniere and Alison Mack and that, that I was not making sound decisions. And I had to also recognize that that was because of the circumstances too. Yeah. And I think that's really important in, in when you're trying to regain some sort of compassion for yourself and not just beat yourself up and be like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Am I just a broken human? Mm-hmm. And, and, and recognize that if you were not in those circumstances, your behavior probably would have been very different. If yeah. you were not being, you know, tortured or sleep deprived or food deprived or even just repeatedly battered with words, mm-hmm. you, your behavior would be different. And, and so to recognize that and to kind of like pull apart what happened to you, not what's wrong with you mm-hmm. is a really difficult thing, but super, super important in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like I, I had a one week experience with someone who was super manipulative psychologically. So glad you got out after one week. One week. Yeah, I know. I know. (laughs) I want to give you a a medal. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Um, and, uh, I think I spent like a year afterwards, like being like, like picking it apart, starting out, like what happened? Why didn't I trust myself when I felt those cues? What went on? And so what I mean, you ignore what instinct. So I have zero judgment to anyone who's been through this and like 1000% respect for 
the journey you've been on with like reclaiming that instinct and I'd love to talk about that a bit like mm-hmm. where are you at now in terms of self-trust and instinct and like also just kind of acknowledging like what was that journey like throughout um Nixian? because yeah mm-hmm. of course there's such a like a, a taking of your your right to trust yourself Totally. And you are actually encouraged to disconnect from your intuition um, because it's hindering you from making logical decisions. And that was a really, really manipulative tactic that actually a lot of um, abusers use to disconnect you from your gut. Mm-hmm. And, I'll, you know, gaslighting is, is one example where someone will tell you that what you're feeling is wrong or what you're thinking or what you saw was not what you saw. And that is something that can happen on a small scale or a large scale. So in my case, I think it has been an incredibly messy, (laughs) bumpy journey, but I also feel really grateful in some ways because I was forced to look at it specifically because I was also a active participating witness for Mm -hmm. the FBI during a really fragile time for me, right when I had left Nexium. And it, it forced me to really look at what had happened in a very linear way, rather than just kind of avoiding the most uncomfortable memories. And I was just fresh out. So there were so many places where I was literally incapable of going because mm-hmm. one, I had suppressed the memories so much and I had distorted them so much. and. I was also not able to speak about a lot of things because like the words just wouldn't come out. I I didn't have recall of a lot of the major traumas that had happened. And that's something that I've come to learn is very common Mm -hmm. in um, high stress or, you know, it's an example or a result of PTSD. Um, So I think for me, it's been, kind of not only being able to talk about it but also being able to feel what I went through and then having those things come back together if that makes sense like my feeling and my recall and my memory and then also reclaiming of my own emotions because I had become very much a robotic person who didn't feel because it wasn't safe mm-hmm. and it was more safe to be compliant and to be on your abuser's good side if you will making them happy or accommodating them because it meant that there would be less danger to you and that's a survival strategy that I've also had to you know forgive myself for because I had a lot of judgment about that about those decisions that I had made um but so I think that it's it's not um it's not a simple process, but I didn't really have much of a roadmap. I just have an incredibly loving and supportive mother who literally like do anything for me. And so that in itself and that coming back to her and coming back to my family and seeing an experience of what a real sacrifice is and what like real love looks like has helped me feel a tremendous amount 
of love in my life again that I just didn't have for so many years and was so confused about. Mm-hmm. So it's a yeah. lot. Yeah, and, so, <laughs> and inside, I'm, I'm still just like, doing it. It yeah, but but so so beautifully, and it's just so felt. And there's just so many things that you said that, like, as a survivor, and I know my a lot of my listeners can feel this too. Like, are just so relatable in so many ways like that judgment around our survival mechanisms and then realizing actually this is what saved me and kept me safe at that moment and like you did like giving compassion to past India and I do to Mm -hmm. past Marley for for calling on those mechanisms and then and then eventually replacing them with something more loving as our environments become safer exactly and and that is a wonderful thing and, and and whether it's a mother a family member a sibling a trusted therapist because those are really hard to find mm-hmm. um those relationships are valuable and i think for me i've had to really reevaluate a lot of my relationships and the dynamics in which like old india would operate and i find myself kind of slipping into that autopilot sometimes and i have to stop myself and be like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Like, why do I have a migraine? Why do I have a, why do I have a stomach ache? Like, slow it down. What's wrong here in this mm. situation? And what's not working for me? And so sometimes there's a lag, you know? And, and mm. I'll, I'll fuck up some stuff and I'll make some bad decisions. And I got to like put on the brakes and be like, hold on, we need to change directions here. And sometimes mm. I need support in doing that because it's, you know, like, building a new muscle and those are muscles that are harder to build because if you don't have a template for them or if you don't have a really good example of what uh you know a strong boundary looks like or what you know really owning your needs looks like it's you're just going to go with what you know Mm -hmm. so I feel like I'm in the stage of really learning um learning those skills and also reclaiming my own physical strength was a huge part of my therapy and Mm -hmm. I rely heavily on boxing because it's like the first time in my life that I've actually felt safe in my body yeah and I felt like I have my own back Mm -hmm. and I think that's really important for people especially survivors of abuse to feel safe in your body to feel good in your body and to not have so so much self-rejection because that's a that's a learned behavior and I think that's a behavior that really serves abusers mm-hmm. yeah and so like even last night um I was talking to my mom about how I feel like really numb in my feet for instance mm-hmm. like I don't have a lot of sensation there and she's been studying a lot of mind body so she was walking me through some of the things that she had learned and so I was sitting and I was on the floor in like a, you know, pseudo yoga pose and I was holding the soles of my feet and I was feeling so much anger. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why do I hate you? And I, I, and my mom was like, just like, let whatever comes out, come out. Like, just let it bubble up. Don't think about it. Just like, see what happens when you just sit there and hold your feet. And so I was holding them. And all of a sudden I, I just said like, I feel like I can't count on you. Like, I don't feel supported. Mm-hmm. And, and, and she's like, can you see how that's like kind of a metaphor, but also like physically your feet are where you should feel grounded. 
like you should be able to have a relationship with your feet so that you know that wherever you go you can trust that they're taking you in the direction that is good for you I had spent a lot of time most of my 20s going in the opposite direction of what was good for me and there was a part of me that just really just wanted to cut them off and feel just you know like I was dissociated from my own body which I was Mm -hmm. and so like I think now part of my healing is coming to terms with the parts of myself that I have rejected and kind of loving them again so that Mm -hmm. I can feel my whole self not a fractured self and and so I was I was sitting there with my feet feeling all like rageful and then I started to just cry because I was like wow I don't need, I don't want to feel like that anymore. Like, I don't want to have parts of my body that I feel hatred towards. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I've had to do that with a lot of things, like whether it was even being able to look at myself in the mirror naked because of the brand for so long, I ended up tattooing over it and turning it into something that I thought was beautiful mm-hmm. so that I didn't feel shameful about being in a freaking bikini. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's so many things that once you really realize that the power is in your hands, it can start to shift a lot faster. Even though there's times where I felt like, oh, this is so exhausting. I don't want to do any work. I just want to be a normal, happy girl. Like, I just want to be a normal, happy person. And then I'm like, it's okay. This Mm -hmm. is your journey. This is part of it you'll get there like talk to myself like I'm three years old yeah 100% (laughs) so I I I feel really comfortable to just be like very honest with you but I I do think I've made some tremendous strides but there are also definitely times where I feel a lot of despair Mm -hmm. and so I think that is something that's totally normal too yeah it is oh thank you thank you thank you I'm just like India that's a poetry book it's a it really is like I'm a writer too so it really yeah. helps me when I feel really really stuck and blocked I I make myself write mm-hmm. because sometimes I just don't know how to verbalize or communicate what I'm feeling and so yes. when I get to writing it just goes and it's just like rushing through my fingers and then I'm like oh mm-hmm. <laughs> that makes sense <laughs> I resonate with this so much and I also feel that potentially tell me if I'm wrong um this is why sharing your story and making impact in that way feels good as well because I know for me like very like very soon after I experienced rape I would just like have so it felt like there was so much destruction in my head and I was like where do I put all this and I would just need to put it into on paper as writing or like grab a mic and talk about it or um move my body and scream exactly so I feel like impact and sharing our stories is like an avenue for that too um do you feel like that and like what what does sharing your story feel like for you? You know, I really do agree with you, but I also think it depends on the person and that it is so individual that some people really prefer to process in private right? Um, where they feel safe. And that could include writing or that could include one other person who you feel safe with. And you can get a, a tremendous amount of resolve in that. Mm-hmm. I've um, I think sometimes it can also be really re-traumatizing 
and it can be triggering mm. even to watch something that is similar to yours. So you really just pay attention to like the signals that your body is giving you. Um, that's something that I've made a lot of mistakes about because I've really tried to just strong arm myself into doing things prematurely. So I think the more that we get clarity and I guess attuned with our emotions and our bodies, we'll be able to hear it more when we've kind of gone too far. Mm. And then, like I said, like the muscle that you're kind of building, you'll get stronger at it and you'll get, it will become easier to share. You might be able to laugh at certain things at some point. And I think that's super healthy. So I think it's a combination of kind of checking in with yourself and seeing where you're at in your own healing. But that for me, sharing has been incredible because, and I think we all can relate to having negative programming, but I guess in my case, it was sort of like an extreme negative programming because I was in there from the time that I was 19 to 25, 26. And so I had a lot of undoing to do. And I think specifically when I was promoting my book and seduced, I was really talking to hundreds of hundreds of people and strangers about my experiences. And it was really liberating because all of a sudden I was like, wow, I don't feel afraid anymore. Mm-hmm. And then my fears would come up in different ways. Like I remember when Keith sentencing was coming up and I had a full body panic attack and I lost my voice and I was like okay this is a lot (laughs) and I had to really just be still for a little while and kind of recenter myself and be like okay how much can I take on today and that's been a learning curve and I've gotten to the point where maybe I'll do one maybe two podcasts a month because it really just depends on where I'm at. If I'm feeling more sturdy in myself, I can do a little more. If I'm not, I might not be able to take a phone call of someone who might need some assistance or some help because I got to really take care of myself too. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for me to say no, yeah. but it's also really good for me. So I yeah. think there's a lot of layers to sharing. And I think for the core of it is to just listen and learn to trust that you'll know when you know mm-hmm. and just go with that you know yeah yeah <laughs> uh, I feel you so much and I just it feels very like kind of like meta style full circle because it's like this constant reminder of there's no right way to heal there's no external blueprint there's no person no. who's like I have the answer it's constantly like coming back right. to ourselves and don't let bodies. anybody pressure you into doing anything before mm-hmm. you're ready like yeah. no fuck that like mm-hmm. if you are not ready to share you share exactly how much you're ready to share and yeah. then and then you do a little more and then you do a little more on your mm-hmm. own time because that right was taken from you. So it's your responsibility to take that and reclaim it back for yourself. And that's something that I'm very much learning now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a journey for all of us. Like if we're being real, like every single one of us, our culture has taught us in one way or another to, to ignore what we're feeling, even like 
if we if we think about food choices like our culture has been like no don't listen to your body this is the <laughs> diet you should follow and we're constantly just given the message of someone else knows better than I do um so getting to that place red flag big red flag I love that red <laughs> flags are like trending right now Have you yeah seen that? yeah yeah <laughs> okay India, give, give us a few red flags and then we'll <laughs> we'll close out soon. okay um Oh, where do I get started? Um, <laughs> let's see. Well, just what you said first, I think that's one of my major red flags. Anybody who's telling you that they know what's better for you is something that you should really just open your eyes and open your ears and be like, hmm, do you know? Unless they are an incredibly wise <laughs> human being who is credentialed, who you have spent time establishing trust with, and they say, hey, you might want to try this, like then maybe be open to it. But that's usually someone who is trying to manipulate you into doing something that benefits them more than you. So that's a red flag, in my opinion. I also think another red flag is when someone uses over flattery. Mm. I think that's something to be aware of, because it, especially if you're an empathetic person, you might be easily manipulated by your feelings. And if someone's making you feel super good and super special, like beware. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I've fallen into a lot of traps that way. Yeah. Um, I also think another red flag for me is just when I've overridden that feeling in my gut mm. and I'm indecisive about this decision I remember somebody saying something and it was so simple and it was so on point where they're like if it's not a strong yes it's a no mm. and so that's something that I also try to remember if it's not a strong yes for me then it's a no don't try to convince myself to do something that I already feel resistance or a no to that mm. is like something that we're so trained to over override and I think our culture is like really good at like push against the fear or you know okay. do the thing that makes you uncomfortable okay those are good lessons sometimes and sometimes mm -hmm. they're not yeah so in the wrong hands they can be used for bad and in your hands maybe they can be good Mm -hmm. yes 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 I see the memes I'm yeah. like I should make like some meme graphics with the oh, for this episode I love that I love that I love being creative with all the, right. the technology of Instagram it's so good I just love to share that um when I watched seduced first of all it was just like so powerful um, but unexpectedly, something that it helped me with was that very message of seeing how much, like, I got really deep into, like, new age spirituality world that was kind of extreme for a while, yeah, and, uh, and, um, I'm pointing to myself, yeah, <laughs> and, um, just the constant messaging of if you if you feel I don't even like saying it but that message of like if you feel fear keep going that's a sign that you need to to work through that block and do something and um watching seduce just helped me see that so clearly and say wow like 
what a manipulation tactic. And something it did for me was it kept me in the fucking closet for a few years because I was like, I think I'm gay. And people were like, it sounds like you have a blockage to the masculine. And like watching. <laughs> oh my God, I want to give like a big, big middle finger and be like, excuse me are you inside of me right now do you have fantasies about women no fuck off yeah. <laughs> exactly so watching watching seduce I, I'd already come out and everything but it just helped me to validate how twisted that manipulation was and just see it and um there's just that moment of you and uh, like several of these survivors women like speaking at the front of the classroom about coercive consent and I just like that that energy that moment that resilience is like what makes me love the world and feel inspired every day to keep doing what I do as well so just freaking thank you you're amazing you. <laughs> I, I appreciate I appreciate what you do a lot thank you so the, the feeling is mutual yay um so cool okay so like how can people connect with you how can they um learn more about your story and just all the amazing work that you're doing um well as much as I love tinkering around with like Instagram stories I'm actually quite terrible at social media but you can find me there on Instagram <laughs> under India Oxenberg just my name um I'm pretty good at responding to messages but I'm very good at responding to comments because I see those more easily. Um, and you can also find me on Audible. Exclusively, my book is there and it's an audio book. So I actually uh, narrated it and it's called Still Learning or you can find me on Stars or Amazon Prime with Seduce, the, mm -hmm. the docuseries. Amazing. Thank you so much, India. I literally feel like we could talk for hours. I know. I'm like, wait, go watch the consent and somatics and all the things. I know. Like, so well, maybe much. one day we'll have to do like some kind of Instagram live when we put out and put out questions for your followers. If they resonate with the podcast, we, we could definitely yeah. do some follow up. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this podcast. It's honestly one that I've listened to like three times now. And just the conversation that India catalyzes around dismantling victim blaming, shedding shame around our past experiences, reclaiming instinct. It is just so powerful and deeply moving and important. So I hope that you received as much inspiration from this podcast as I did. Always feel free to write in, shoot me a DM, let me know what you felt listening to this, what some major takeaways were. If this resonated with you, we're always really grateful for you to share the podcast, leave reviews as we're growing this baby into her own little vampire. And um, we're going to have some amazing guests on for you next week as well. Check out the Sensual Wholeness Academy if you're ready to dive deeper into shedding shame around sensuality and claiming full embodied empowerment, rising in love with your body, finding your people in the world to really deeply support and uplift you. So check it out. You can find the details in the show notes and you can also book a free one-to-one -one call with me to receive personalized support in deciding if this is a fit for you. 